From the garden level of Harvard Medical School's historic Vanderbilt Hall in Boston, this is Think Research, a podcast that discusses the stories behind medical research. I'm Abby, your host. Think Research is brought to you by Harvard Catalyst, Harvard University's Clinical and Translational Science Center. Sometimes a chance meeting can fundamentally change the path of your career. On today's episode, Dr. Connor Evans tells the story of how a trip to give a talk at the former Brook Army Medical Center, now the San Antonio Medical Center, gave him and the team at his lab a new focus. He is joined by Dr. Haley Marks, a research fellow in Dr. Evans' lab, whose work focuses on the development of phosphor-embedded adhesive materials which allow for imaging and measurement of tissue oxygenation. Dr. Evans' lab is developing a bandage that changes color based on the oxygenation levels of the skin on which it is placed. Using consumer-grade adhesives and cameras and analysis software the lab developed, they hope to create a smartphone app that along with their bandage allows physicians to take accurate metrics of the health of skin. Their technology is currently being tested in a clinical trial looking at how sun exposure affects skin oxygenation on a molecular level. Dr. Connor Evans is an assistant professor at the Wellman Center for Photomedicine of Harvard Medical School at the Massachusetts General Hospital. Dr. Haley Marks is a postdoctoral research fellow at Massachusetts General Hospital's Wellman Center for Photomedicine. Hello, Dr. Evans and Dr. Marks. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Dr. Evans, tell us a little bit about the background and development of this project and its technology. Certainly. Uh, several years ago when I actually, when I kicked off my team, I started uh, my team as a brand new faculty member. Um, we were really interested in looking at cancer and problems in cancer. And so we were developing all these different chemical probes all these different toolkits to try to understand uh, what was happening uh, when cancer didn't respond to treatment. And something really fortuitous happened that kind of changed everything. Um, my director, Rox Anderson, who's been involved in a number of military projects uh, over the years, uh, kind of stopped at my office and said, you really need to come join us on this trip. We're going to go down to uh, the Brook Army Medical Center, which is now known as San Antonio Medical Center, or SAMC. Um, we're going to go meet with some people down there, and uh, I think I think it's be really good for you. I think you're going to learn something. So, um, so I, I uh, packed my bags, went down, and uh, like I said, this it pretty much fundamentally changed what we do on my team. When we were at the military base, we met with, I shook hands with um, wounded warriors who were coming back from Iraq and Afghanistan. These people had burns that covered 60% of their bodies. They were missing hands, they were missing feet. And what was more amazing about some of them was that they had hands that were made out of part of their shoulder, or they had feet that were reconstructed from a piece of their back. Um, there were surgeons that were actually rebuilding limbs from other pieces of these individuals um, to give them functionality. And the very first thing these uh, these soldiers were saying was, okay, when can I be back out there? When can I go back to Iraq and Afghanistan? And the, the dedication 
that uh, that they were showing was overwhelming. That was the introduction to the center, and we were sitting down, and I sheepishly had to get up and talk about my work in cancer. Uh, and I was preparing my slides, and next to me was sitting some uh, somebody, and I was poking at, looking at his slides. He was the surgeon who was doing some of these reconstructive surgeries, and just out of chance, I looked over, and he was talking about his biggest problem. And the biggest problem he had was that he couldn't tell how healthy these tissues he was creating were, how what their oxygenation was. Are they receiving enough blood? Um, are they healing properly? And I'm looking down at my slide, and my slide is all about how you sense oxygen. And so I turned to him, introduced myself, and said, we we need to work together. And that was it. I, I came back from that meeting. I took my whole team, put them in the office. We had uh, we had a powwow, and it was basically, this is what we're going to do. We're going to figure out how to make this happen. And in a very, very short while, the DOD said, yes, we're going to help you make this happen. Um, and what we've created since then in a very short period of time uh, is, uh, is a technology that allows you to actually see oxygen in tissue. Now, we all, oxygen is around us. It's... Um, uh, it's essential to, to life. We live, we breathe. Our cells need oxygen uh, as part of their metabolism. If we don't get oxygen, we die. But you can't see it. It's not something that's visible uh, until we created this tool. Um, and what it is is, is is fairly simple. It's a it's a bandage, it's a dressing, it's a, it's a wearable sticker uh, that that actually changes color from green to red when the oxygenation in your tissue goes from good to bad. Uh, and all you need is your eyes or a smartphone camera, and you can see the oxygenation, the amount of oxygen that's within your tissue. Uh, and we were very excited about this because this has a lot of applications uh, in folks with diabetes and transplants and skin grafts. Um, but I think, you know, what I'm very excited about at this point, especially as we're, you know, entering clinical trials and seeing success, um, is that we're in a position to bring this tool back down to the very people who inspired the project, and that is the wounded warriors. Uh, and we're very, very much looking forward to um, working again with our military collaborators to bring these tools back to the people who really were on the front lines and, and, uh, and were the inspiration for this all. Dr. Marks, what is your role on this project? And how did you first get involved? Um, so I was lucky enough to join the lab right uh, as we were transitioning into uh, human clinical trials. The initial trial was a collaboration with Beth Israel right down the street here, um, where we were looking at um, graphs. So going back to the initial application Connor was just saying, where there are double mastectomy patients. Uh, in the study, we were comparing our bandits directly uh, to the current gold standard called bioptics um, and seeing how, you know, how our bandage responds in time over the course of a 48-hour recovery period. And during this 48 hours, we're getting to sit in this little you know, uh, room right next to the, to the recovery suite, acting as a sort of engineering pit crew to the clinical uh, researchers who are actually performing the procedures um, and troubleshooting along the way, uh, which led us to this second, much larger project that we're, we're getting to lead on our own. 
um, where we're uh, the, the initial project had five patients. This one's uh, we're recruiting for 100. So uh, significantly bigger sample size. In th- our current study, uh, my role in the project is that I- I'm acting as sort of the study coordinator slash co-investigator slash <laughs> pit crew <laughs> yeah. slash Jack of engineer. All trades. <laughs> yes, Haley um, wears many hats for this, as as yeah. as do really anyone who works in the this area of yeah. translational research. As you. You kind of have to take different hats on and off on a on a almost second by second basis sometimes. Yeah. So everything from recruiting subjects to actually operating the little Nikon camera we use to take the images to, to writing the analysis code to yeah. everything. What is the current study about? We all know that sun is bad for our skin, and that's why we all wear sunscreens and we're encouraged to wear long sleeves and to not have this constant sun exposure. We've all seen the extreme of this. If you go out. Uh, you know, to Southern California, you find those those sun-seeking individuals. <laughs> um, you can see the consequence of being in the sun for too long. Uh, there's usually they're usually older folks, and they have what we call solar elastosis. And you, we all know what I'm talking about. It's that 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 really leathery, grainy skin uh, that comes from years and years and years of um, of of ultraviolet sun exposure. And and that's really aged skin. That's what we would call photo aged skin. Um, and then you have, you know, your, your scientist or engineer like me who literally works in a dark room, uh, you know, for more than half the hours in a given week. And, you know, and I don't have that. So the, those are the kind of two extremes. And um, what researchers have found is that there are profound alterations that happen within the, the tissue, within our skin, um, that happens from repeated long-term uh, sun exposure. So it's not just, oh, I got a sunburn. Oops. It's this chronic sun exposure. And one of the key pieces that happens uh, that connects to our own work is that if you do proteomics, if you analyze the genes that are being expressed, if you really take a look at what are the mutations that are occurring, you consistently find uh, a program that the skin is executing that's calling out for oxygen. That There's a problem in how it's actually metabolizing oxygen. And the the bandage that we've created tells you this. You can actually put it on and and take two pictures and wait a few minutes, and it'll actually tell you what the oxygen consumption of the skin is. Um, and so the goal of this study is really to use this tool in a kind of a, a way we never initially intended, which is why it's kind of exciting, to look at the differences between young and old, um, uh, so normal aging processes, but also uh, photo-damaged versus non-photo-damaged skin, and to really take a look at... at, uh, at what fundamentally is happening on the molecular oxygen level. Not what are the genes telling us, not what are the proteins telling us, what, are, what is the tissue actually doing? Uh, and that's what this, uh, this study is looking to get to. When we do the study, this is the process, we, we have a, a bandage that's actually in a liquid form. So if you've ever gone to CVS and bought a liquid bandage, this is what you're getting. Um, in that bandage, we put our, our special sauce, right? We put this, uh, we put sensors that change color, uh, a range, actually a, a two sensors, a green and a red sensor. Their relative uh, color change is gonna tell us uh, the oxygenation levels and the oxygen consumption levels in that tissue. The bandage is painted on the skin. We allow it to dry for a minute or two. And then um, we put a piece of tegaderm over it. Um, and the reason we do this protects the bandage, but it also allows the bandage we painted on to listen more carefully to the skin and not to the air. Um, and then um, one can acquire a picture of that. And 
we use the, the same Nikon cameras that, that everyone who's, all the tourists in Boston are walking around and we use the same cameras, the same flashes that you've had shown in your eyes way too many times at the last wedding you were at. Um, we put some special filters in front of them so that we, we provide blue light only to the bandage and we have a filter in the front of the camera so we look only at the green and the red uh, uh, light that's coming back from the bandage. Those images we then uh, we then process. This the simplest way to describe it is that we're looking at a ratio of the green to the red, uh, and the image manipulation that um, that Haley has talked about that she does really is aligning the green and the red images together, making sure that they overlap well. Um, uh, calculating the ratio in a way that is robust, doesn't have to divide by zero infinity errors and things like that. And then basically uh, automatically tabulating statistics from that to make sure that the image we got was robust. The benefit of that image processing pipeline uh, is something that could be pretty easily done on an iPhone. So um, uh, that's uh, why we're pretty uh, excited about the translational development of this. Is This isn't something you have to wheel in some big C-arm-based, you know, 500 pound camera into an OR. This is something that you or I could hopefully in a year or two download uh, from, you know, the Apple store, the Apple app store, uh, put on our phones and take a picture. How are you seeking out participants? What is the criteria to participate and what would someone have to do? You can sign up at rsvpforhealth.org or at clinicaltrials.partners.org. We'll have information about the study listed as well as a survey that you can take to find out if you if you fall into the inclusion criteria. If, you, if you've ever had a sunburn and you happen to be in the age groups of 20 to 30 or 55 to 65, then you most likely uh, fit the criteria. There's a few little things like uh, we're excluding diabetics, uh, pregnant women, uh, people who take uh, anti-inflammatory drugs on a daily basis, things that we, we, we can foreseeably th- see as confounders. And we really narrowed in on those groups, um, not because we want to exclude anyone, but because those are very well-defined age groups. Mm-hmm. Uh, younger, independent individuals, older, independent individuals, um, and people we anticipate have less and more sun exposure. We're really focusing on just the sex and um and the age groups. And we do anticipate a rather significant difference between the ages and between the sexes. Um, The survey is gonna help us kind of look at maybe interesting trends that will occur. Um, But this entire study, which is funded by a very generous gift from the Procter & Gamble uh, Corporation, um, is likely only the first step because as we start teasing out those individual pieces of information, is, um, we fully anticipate to broaden and maybe even specialize to, to different subgroups. What will you learn from this data? I think it will confirm a lot of our suspicions about um, just the inherent properties of tissue oxygenation and oxygen consumption. Um, and hopefully assuming that uh, we hypothesize correctly, and this will allow us to move forward to deeper questions. So uh, the big ones being, is there statistical difference between your sun-exposed areas and your sun-unexposed areas? And then again, between the between the sexes, between the age groups, and uh, correlating with the sun-seeking behavior or smoking or um, other lifestyle habits that may be attributable to UV damage. Or correlated with it. You know, there's a theory floating around that smokers versus non-smokers may have different degrees of skin aging. Um, and is that, does that relate to, um, to sun exposure? Or is that is that a lifestyle factor? Is it correlative on a biochemical level? So there's some, there's some 
questions that a lot of people have been asking that we hope to, we're not going to answer them all at once, but, uh, but we may at least start to poke some holes at, uh, at, uh, at some theories and, and see what clicks. The overall oxygen sensing project is expanding in a couple of very interesting ways. Um, we definitely see this sensitive toolkit for, uh, for, for looking at skin and skin oxygenation consumption to be something uh, that helps us lead the clinical push um, for, um, for looking at uh, transplanted tissues, for looking at wounds, uh, wound health. Um, we're very interested in applying this to looking at skin inflammatory diseases. Um, maybe even pick up inflammatory disease before they manifest. For example, I would love to find a way of making something um, that could pick up uh, psoriatic lesions before they appear. Um, no idea whether we can do that, but that's that's kind of something I've I've really wanted to try for a long time with this tool. Um, but also to to move this forward to you know, to diabetics as well to look at um, potentially detecting when ulcers might appear um, or how fast they're healing. In, though the study we're proposing is really in UV photo damage, the same toolkit that's being developed, the same code that Haley is writing, the same analysis methodologies, thankfully can be applied to all these different problems. And so in some ways, it's kind of a beachhead to getting us forward. Um, it's an important one and one that has a, a high importance to folks who have a high risk of skin cancer. Um, but I think it's going to help uh, move us into a huge variety of, uh, of other applications. Thank you again for joining us, Dr. Evans and Dr. Marks. It's been a pleasure to have this conversation with you. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's been fun. Harvard Catalyst Think Research is supported by NCATS, the National Center for Advancing Translational Sciences. Subscribe to Think Research on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. To find out more about our podcast or suggest topics for future episodes, visit our website, www.catalyst.harvard.edu slash thinkresearch.